You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sideline with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. Welcome to another edition of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spratling, where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain a little bit to give you an insider's perspective. The Heard It on the Sidelines podcast is part of the Pairstyle podcast family, and on today's episode, we're going to jump into another mailbag edition. I'm going to be answering your guys' questions with a particular focus on what I've been seeing while studying USC's recent games while compiling the participation charts and formation breakdowns that I produce after every game for you guys, so you can see who's playing how much they're playing, what playing time, how this being distributed to different guys, and what trends may be forming from that, as well as the formations that we're seeing, the different looks that the offense and defense are giving to the opposition to try to mix things up. Before I get to your questions, there are some differences, some intricacies that I want to point out that we may not come up in a question, and if the topic does come up, I can elaborate on a little bit more, as you know I always can. But let's start with the dime package on defense. USC against Arizona, they break out their dime package for the first time. Not necessarily the first time this season, because they have done it in sparingly. Used it one snap against Stanford. They used it four snaps against Washington State. But that's it. That's the only times that they've used the dime package. Because USC basically has been in their nickel package almost the entire season. I mean, you come into this game against Arizona – they have played 30 snaps, 30 snaps in any other defense other than nickel this season, and they played 66 of the 70 in their dime package in this game. So definitely went with a different look there. Now they used Bryson Shaw, wanted to get another defensive back on the field, and you wonder why they do that. Is that because Bryson Shaw is stepping up his game and they want to make sure they get him on the field now he's returned from the, the torn quadriceps that his, uh, his father said that he had? Or... Is that part of it? Maybe that's a piece of it. Maybe it's just because of the injury that USC has on the other end. Someone that went down before this game, Eric Gentry, who got actually got injured in the Utah game when Brandon Peely falls on him and falls on his ankle uh, while they're both trying to make a tackle. So the big boy Brandon Peely actually doing damage to USC there with Eric Gentry. And obviously he went through the, the injury, played a couple more snaps, and then had to come out of the game and you saw you know, the emotion hopping back out there and everything. But when Eric Gentry goes down, their inside linebacker, you know, USC decided, let's get an extra defensive back, especially against the Arizona passing attack with those three really good wide receivers they have. And the fact they don't really have a great run game, even though they did runs for some yards against USC, that's not their strength. They want to throw the ball around with Dorian Singer, with Jacob Cowing, and with Tetraroya McMillan throwing it, getting the ball from, from Jaden Delore. They want to spread the ball around. So USC said, let's get another defensive back on the field. And so they bring Bryson Shaw in, and instead of having two receiving Nomura and, uh, and Shane Lee splitting those linebacker reps in the middle of the field or being in there together, they split those up. They had those two guys rotate. They basically played about the same amount of snaps, and so they used an extra defensive back instead of having both those guys on the field at the same time. So that's uh, the dime package. That was what's different with it. We'll talk. I got some questions about Bryson Shaw a little bit later, so we'll get into that a little bit more. 
Now, when you use some different packages, sometimes that can lend you to make a couple mistakes. And we saw some mistakes from USC, a couple of coverage busts, but also they had a snap where they only had 10 players on the field, where they didn't know who was supposed to sub in, who was supposed to sub out. So those type of things, those are things that USC's got to make sure they got cleaned up when they're playing against UCLA, even Notre Dame, and then potentially if they are able to make it into the Pac-12 championship, you know that's something that has to be cleaned up. You can't have those type of mistakes in the big games or else they can really hurt you. Another thing that was really interesting because of an injury was how was USC going to attack the offensive line this week? USC has to mix up their offensive line because Andrew Voorhees goes down with an injury. He actually wasn't at part of the practice on uh, Wednesday last week. He was Lincoln Riley was asked about it on Thursday in his media uh, call, media Zoom that he has, and he was not very happy about the fact that he was asked about it. And USC actually clipped that part of the interview out and did not post it when they posted the rest of the interview. So that was kind of interesting. They did not want that information getting out there that Andrew Voorhees might not play. He did not. And because of that, USC had a decision to make. Do you mix everything up? Do you move Justin Dietrich over the left side? Now, he played over on the left side last year beside Andrew Voorhees when he kicked out to, to left tackle and Dietrich was inserted into the starting lineup at left guard. But then you got to put push him to left, uh, left guard. you got to put someone else in at right guard. Is that going to be Geno Quinones? Or is that going to be Jonah Monheim, who's played right guard in the past, and that's what USC ended up doing, putting Monheim there, and then bringing in Mason Murphy at the right tackle position. So that was one option. That's the option USC decided to go with. But I thought it was interesting. It shows a lot of confidence in Mason Murphy that to, to say, hey, we're going to move three positions and have three changes on the offensive line rather than just say, let's put Gina Quinones in. He's our backup interior offensive lineman. He's already backed up for Justin Dietrich. We feel like he can come in and play either the left or right spot, and maybe you move Justin Dietrich, and you have two pieces that are moving, rather or two new pieces, rather than having three. You could also USC had the option of potentially, you know, putting Cortland Ford in there at one of the tackle positions, and possibly moving Bobby Haskins over the right side and swinging Jonah Monheim in. But that tells you how much confidence they have in Mason Murphy, and he played pretty well in this game. Got to give him a lot of credit. He struggled in the the early reps that he got earlier this season when he was kind of thrown into the mix with Bobby Haskins going out with a couple of of, uh, shoulder injuries, and that happened again in this game. That same shoulder that seems to be bothering Bobby Haskins, he got yanked on by a defender and went down and did not come back in this game. So it was actually good to see Cortland Ford come in and have some some success as well in this game, which all the offensive linemen should have had success because Arizona's front just is not that good. But it was really good to see Mason Murphy, and that's a big confidence builder for him going forward because he's that the, that extra tackle that USC has there um, and the the injuries that they've had at the tackle positions it's important for him to be ready to go and to see him come in and play well was a positive there but that thought it was really interesting the way that USC decided to to make uh, make some changes on that offensive line to be able to to fill in for Andrew Voorhees and not just sub straight in Gina Quinones or even Joe Bryson the walk-on who's been taking those second team reps at, at right uh, at left guard this season knew that wasn't going to be the guy that they fill in there but that was also another option that USC had with some of the injuries that USC has had, you've seen a variety of weapons. Jordan Addison goes down in the Utah game. Okay, well, now Michael Jackson steps up and steps in, and he makes a play. He only played three snaps 
Maybe four offensive snaps actually in the game. One of them was a penalty. So three technical offensive snaps in that Utah game scores a touchdown. That's the variety of weapons that USC has. You know, he wasn't the only one. Josh followed two touchdowns in that game. His first touchdown. Then you come to Arizona and with Mario Williams also out and Jordan Addison, you have multiple guys getting in the end zone for the first time this season, getting their first receiving touchdown. Kyle Ford gets in. He has a 100-yard game. Taj Washington gets in twice. He has a 100-yard game. Both those guys, that was their first 100-yard game as a Trojan. Taj Washington also had three when he was at Memphis. And then Raleigh Brown, he played two snaps in the game, and he gets in the end zone against Arizona as well, his first receiving touchdown. So there's been six different players that have scored their first receiving touchdown this season in the last two games. That's showing you the variety of weapons that USC has and the fact that if someone does go down, one of those offensive playmakers, there are other guys that can fill in. So that, that's what makes this offense so dangerous. And with Caleb Williams playing the way he's playing right now, he has best game, in my opinion, uh, as a Trojan on Saturday against Arizona. And I think he's only getting better. He's had 10 touchdowns, no interceptions the last two games. But if you want to look at pro football focus and some of the numbers they have, he's had 10 big-time throws is how they label them. Uh, Big-time throws, that's fitting in the window. That's those tough throws. That's those NFL-caliber type of throws. He's had 10 of those the last two games combined. He's had zero turnover-worthy passes, which is another category they they uh, they factor in as well. So, you know, you throw a ball and maybe it should be intercepted, but it doesn't. Someone drops it or something. That's still a turnover-worthy pass in their, their mind. So this is telling you the elite throws he's making and the big mistakes he's making, and you're seeing it's 10 to 0. And same thing with his touchdown-interception ratio the last two games. So he's been improving, you know, going in, and playing in two road environments. Obviously, the Utah one was crazy. He's only getting better as the season progresses. So you're seeing him use the different weapons that he has as well. And he's got a lot of different offensive looks because Lincoln Riley is drawing up all kinds of creative things. You've seen the tight end beside Caleb playing, you know, basically in a normal running back spot. We saw that a little bit. We've seen Taj Washington in the backfield. We saw the power pistol look against Utah where you, know, you had the pistol and then you have two wide receivers on either side of Caleb Williams. You know, and Usually those are guys that you would have fullbacks or tight ends there. Instead, USC was using Jordan Addison and Taj Washington and just designing different plays off of those looks. You know, That's what's so fun about Lincoln Riley's offense and watching it is he just has so much creativity with the different things they're doing. You saw them in the game. I put pointed out some of the clips from the Utah game on Twitter about getting super wide and you know to the boundary and then creating all that space to the open side of the field to the wide side to then send Jordan Addison in motion and then create get him out in space and let him go to work against some some defenders and got some nice blocks from Josh Follow and then that sets up Josh Follow's first touchdown because. In Lincoln Riley's offense, there's always the counter punch to the initial punch as well, which is what makes it really fun as well. We also saw some different defensive looks against Arizona. And one of those was, okay, well, if you're only going to have one linebacker on the field, how do you kind of fill the void in the middle of the field so that Arizona can't just run the ball against you the entire time or Jaden Delora can't just take off up the middle every time or you can't just have that slant pass over the middle if the middle linebacker is the inside linebacker is blitzing, which is what you saw Jacob Cowan beating Max Williams one time when Tua Sebi Nomura was on a blitz. So what do you do differently? 
Well, USC tried some things. They used Max Williams kind of as a faux linebacker, kind of using him in the middle. And that's a, a position that even though he's not the biggest, he just has those instincts to go up and make plays and stuff. So I, I like the fact they're using him there for that. You would love to have someone like Talano Hufunga who has the body type that can also do that with the instincts. And you remember USC did that a couple years ago of using him as a faux linebacker as well. Actually just using him in that linebacker spot and then you know being able to flex him out against an inside receiver when needed and whatnot. Max Williams was more of a faux linebacker in this one instead of Talanoa was kind of filling in all the time at that spot. But they also did something different with Tuli Tuli Pelotu. They used him standing him up and basically side right beside the inside linebacker, and he slowly would creep towards the line of scrimmage and then kind of attack. And the, the idea behind this is to, okay, let's move him around so they don't know where he's attacking from. And if he's standing up and kind of creeping in, he's creeping in a different direction, he's going, you know, he's going to the left a little bit, going to the right, not always just going straight ahead then it makes it that much more difficult for the the offensive line to identify, okay, who's got this guy, who's got, got that guy. But it didn't really work. Actually, it didn't work at all. Arizona gained 13.8 yards per play on the 13 snaps where Tulu Pelotu started as an inside linebacker and at least in that two-point stance, kind of walked his way to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Solomon Tulu also did this a little bit. He came in as, you know, Tuli's backup, did the same thing. On 19 total plays when one of the guys was kind of standing and walking towards the line of scrimmage, Arizona averaged 12 and a half yards per play. So that one didn't work really right there for uh, for Alex Grinch. Tried to do some different things, didn't work there. But an even bigger issue for the defense was they just missed way too many tackles. They missed 20 tackles against Arizona. And you had multiple guys missing three, four. Bryson Shaw had four. Thule had four. You know, you had multiple guys with two. You know, and this is coming off a game where they had 18 against Utah. Now, Utah was just the linebackers. All the linebackers just really struggled. They all had multiple uh, missed tackles, all the inside linebackers, all four of their, their primary guys. Now, one of those is Shane Lee, who's playing with a cast, had five missed tackles in that game. That's the worst game he's ever had in his career, probably ever in his life, but that's what happens when you're playing with a cast and you're trying to play through injury. He had five missed tackles in that game. Prior in his career, he's played more than a thousand snaps at his time in Alabama, his time at USC leading up to that. He had nine total missed tackles. So that tells you that the cast was definitely playing a role in it. And he didn't have a missed tackle this past week against Arizona. So it's good to see him get back on track. But now everyone else needs to start taking those steps up. But you're seeing the impact of one, the injuries, what whether it be Shane Lee not being able to make some plays because you know he suffered from an injury or Eric Gentry not being able to make some plays the last couple of snaps that he was in because of an injury. But you're also seeing the reserves and the the impact of those injuries with reserves getting in there and them missing some tackles as well. Bryson Shaw getting in there, you know, used him in that dime package. He had four missed tackles in the game. So, you know, that's something that you got to deal with. It's part of the, you know, college football. Football in general is a war of attrition. So you got to deal with it. Your reserves got to be ready. Your backups have to be ready. They have to be able to make plays. And USC's not making enough of those on the defensive side. So 38 missed tackles the last two games. How different is that from what USC was at, you know, when they started 6-0? They had 44 for the first six games combined. So they were averaging seven per game. And the last two games, they have, you know, 7.7 or 7.3 through the first six games. The last two games, they've averaged 19. 
they've got to get that cleaned up. They, you know, if they play UCLA, Zach Charbonnet is going to have, you know, is going to force 20 missed tackles himself if they don't start getting that cleaned up. Last thing I want to jump into before we get into your questions is just, just some of the playing time changes. We talked about Bryson Shaw obviously getting some opportunities there. But what's interesting about Bryson Shaw is that you know he was injured at the very beginning of the season, so he didn't get much run at all. Slowly earned some time on special teams. He got 11 defensive snaps against Washington State when Kalen Bullock went out, and that helped him earn these extra opportunities. So that's a guy that, that's earned some. Some other guys have lost some time. Corey Foreman did not play at Arizona. They thought he was going to be able to go travel with the team, did not play. Uh, he only had four defensive snaps against Utah. Now, maybe that's just part of the, the product of the, you know, the fact that they weren't able to get Utah into third and long situations, but the fact that they moved Nick Figueroa over to the Russian spot and basically pushed Corey Foreman down from, you know, the, the primary backup behind Solomon Bird and now he's third string. Not a great sign for Corey Foreman as you know, we're still hoping that he can, you know, live up to the expectations that he has and still think that he's gonna break out eventually, but gotta get healthy, gotta get back on, you know, doing things on the practice field so that he can do that. And it was interesting, Nick Figueroa, Corey Foreman's not there or not uh, dressed out for Arizona, but his playing time was scaled back versus Arizona. After having 60 defensive snaps versus Utah was much more of a balance with him and Solomon Bird uh, against Arizona. A couple of other guys that had seen their playing time kind of diminish recently got some opportunities against Arizona. It looked like Alex Grinch was doing this purposely, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley doing this purposely to try to get Latrell McCutcheon and Jacoby Covington hadn't really played much recently, but to get them some opportunities, especially in the second half when USC had taken a you know 16-point lead um, and, and you know looked like they had the game in control, even though Arizona does come back. But Latrell McCutcheon getting in there, he played 21 defensive snaps. That's the most he's played all season for USC. After the last four games combined, he'd had only 15 combined. So uh, you know, getting him back in the mix is a positive. He filled in. You know, he was rotating with uh, Jalen Smith, played a couple drives there because Jalen Smith against Utah played 96 total snaps, which is the most any USC player has played this season. So you want to bring that down just a little bit. You don't want guys playing, getting near that triple-digit mark uh, in a single game when you combine defensive snaps with the special team snaps, Jalen Smith all over the place for USC. But the other guy uh, in that secondary, Jacoby Covington, now he's a guy that started out the season. He was getting over 20 snaps per game, you know, rotating with Sierra Wright, and then he didn't play against uh, Oregon State. Because Damani Jackson comes in. He gets a couple snaps. They have a different package. They use Damani Jackson. Damani Jackson's been injured the last couple games, and Co- uh, Covington has been able to take advantage of that. You know, getting 12 snaps against Arizona State, only three combined against Washington State and Utah, but he gets 11 in this Arizona game and nearly had an interception if Kalen Bullock doesn't knock a, knock a ball away from him. So it'll be interesting to see which of those guys, Covington, McCutcheon, do they continue to get opportunities? Does Demonte Jackson get back in the mix at that second cornerback spot? We'll see as we go forward. Another guy that has got back in the mix, Austin Jones. We were wondering where's Austin Jones been the last couple weeks. He had only ten offensive snaps in the Washington State and Utah games, while Relique Brown had stepped forward and played a couple more snaps than he had. Um, but this week, Relique Brown only plays two offensive snaps. Austin Jones back up near the 20-snap mark at 18 offensive snaps. 
So that's interesting to see these back in front. Is that an ongoing battle in practice? You know, is there different things that they were looking for in these different, you know, the different battles, whether it be Arizona versus Utah, Arizona, hey, we can probably run over these guys a little bit more, Utah, let's use the speed. That's something that uh, we don't necessarily know the reason behind it, but it's been interesting to track how that one's kind of playing out because Travis died. They've been really relying on him heavily the last few games. He's played over, you know, 58, 59, and 59 offensive snaps the last three games. And you worry a little bit about a guy who's not the biggest guy taking a bunch of hits. Can they scale that back a little bit, especially against Cal in Colorado? If you can get a lead, get Travis Dye out there early, you would like to do that before you go into those final couple games uh, and try to get ready for a Pac-12 championship game if you can get in. One guy that's taken over a spot has been Josh Follow. Josh Follow, early in the season, was getting no playing time. He played 12 total snaps offensively for the first four games the last four games he's averaging more than 25 snaps he's taken over that that role and you've seen Malcolm Epps he's had just 12 offensive snaps the last two games Lake McCree he's had just 11 after he was averaging over 25 the first four games so we've seen Lake McCree he missed a game he's come back and Josh follows kind of taking over that spot so we'll see how the tight end battle keeps uh, going as the season progresses those guys have been Red zone targets, but mostly just blockers. And Josh Follow is probably the best blocker of the three, so maybe that's why we're seeing him more in the actual run of game rather than just the red zone targets and the red zone opportunities that USC gets. But also, the tight ends, when they're on the field, USC is just not at his best. When they go four wide is when they've gained the most yardage throughout the season in their four wide sets. However, you want to be able to have that tight end on there so you can run the ball a little bit better so you can wear down defenses so in the second half, the fourth quarter, you can grind out and you know run that clock. So there's a little bit of give and take there, but when you look at just the yards per play, when USC's had a tight end on the field, they have not been as good as when they've not had a tight end on the field. And usually it's like a two-yardage difference, you know, whether it be eight yards per play versus ten yards per play or whatever it may be there. Another guy that's taken over, taken over as a starter and taken over the majority of the snaps uh, has been Tyrone Tolini. You know, he's had 50-plus snaps the last two games as a starter. You know, he was banged up a little bit earlier in the season. He missed a couple games. But he's come back, and since, you know, returning, his snaps has only increased. He went from 15 to 21 to 36 against Washington State. Now he's starting, and he's started over, you know, played over 50 snaps the last two and been making an impact. But, you know, those defensive tackles, those nose tackles, you know, they're not making a huge impact. Um, but they've got to take up that space, let guys like Tuli Tuli Pelotu go make plays, let those linebackers get in there to make plays. But So who's been losing those snaps from when Tyrone Tolini's been in there? That would be Dejon Benton. He's actually seen his playing time decrease recently, and you know we'll see. He hasn't been able to make as much of an impact as far as his pass rush and whatnot. Hasn't had a pressure the last two games in 29 pass rush snaps. See if he can snap that streak this weekend against Cal. Another guy that hasn't made as big of an impact recently is Solomon Bird. And that's why you saw Nick Figueroa switch over that rush, that rush in position and, and get some opportunities there because he's been a guy that's consistently been able to get to the quarterback. Um, and now, you know, they you know looking for more playmakers off the edge because they think that rush in position is such an important one as because they need players to cause havoc. This defense is all about causing havoc, getting those negative plays. So that's why Nick Figueroa's kind of moved in front of Solomon Bird. You know, some tape gets out on you after a couple plays. You're playing at a different level than Wyoming. How do you now 
counter that and start making be able to make an impact again. We'll see if Solomon Burke can do that down the stretch. Welcome back to a couple players. First off, welcome back to Cortland Ford. You know, he's had barely played at all uh, in the five games previous to, to the Arizona game. He played 13 snaps. He missed two games, comes back. He, he basically got stepped on in the Stanford game, uh, re-watching the video and seeing he got stepped on while he's trying to block. That can be – some. Di- you, you can have a broken bone. You can do some different things in that foot. Uh, couldn't tell if it was necessarily the foot itself and one of the metatarsals or if it was an ankle injury when he went out in the Stanford game. I remember seeing him in the in the tent, just very um, very upset and very dismayed be, from the injury. But he misses a couple games, comes back against Arizona State, and it just didn't look very good. You could tell that he was not a hundred percent, was not moving very well, and you know he struggled to get to the edge against some of the edge rushers that Arizona State had, and that led to a holding penalty that negated a, a long touchdown. Um, but so he missed the, didn't play the last two games, didn't play, you know, special teams or anything like that against Arizona. He had a different role because Andrew Voorhees was out. He had taken over as the, you know, as the filling in for him on the kick units, you know, in the field goal, the extra point, those type things. So it's good to see, Hey, he's going to be back in the mix at least and getting a play. So that seems to make you think that he's a little bit healthier, but then, Bobby Haskins goes down. Cortland Ford steps in, plays 25 snaps, plays pretty well. So we'll see if uh, if he gets back in the rotation with Bobby Haskins, or if he's you know if that's pretty much a settled deal. Um, and you know what Cortland Ford can bring for USC as the season progresses. Uh, we'll see if there's any more injuries on the offense line that might open the door for him to get in return to the starting lineup. Another guy that's we welcome him back is Chris Thompson Jr. You may not have noticed him because he's been on kickoffs. Um, but he solidified a place there on the kickoff unit, and the fact that he's back is, is a positive. Uh, you know, I thought it would be he'd been a great guy to actually implement if you had trust in him on the defensive side against Arizona, Arizona with that dime defense. I think he's a guy that could be used in a dime defense because of his previous experience as a safety. He's a guy that can come up and fill the hole, but can be used, uh, you know, at, in those passing situations as well. So. Um, he's a guy that I, I'm intrigued with. He and another kickoff unit specialist, Rajon Davis, who's also on other special teams, so not a specialist there necessarily, but he's another guy that could be used in those passing situations in specific packages, but USC, Alex Grinch, hasn't really necessarily been been doing that throughout the season. Speaking of the, the kickoff unit, a couple of guys have solidified their place on there. At the beginning of the season, they were basically rotating every single time they kicked off with a whole like a whole batch of nine different guys to ten different guys to go along with Alex Stedhouse. But it's been Latrell McCutcheon, Micah Kroom, Rajon Davis, Chris Thompson, Clyde Moore, Brennan Outlaw. Those guys have all been solid pieces there. And, you know, the kickoff unit has been pretty pretty good this season as well, covering kickoffs and, you know, doing what, what they have to do to make sure there's no big returns or anything. On the other side, on the kickoff return, if you've seen anyone in the 82 jersey on the kickoff return, been like, who, who's 82? Is Austin Overn out there, the, the walk-on wide receiver? No, he actually can't play for two years at USC, or else he has to go on scholarship as a you know as a football player because he's on scholarship as a baseball player. So don't expect him to be out there. But the number two 80, 82 jersey is actually Prophet Brown because Taj Washington's now on the return. So you can't have two of the same numbers. So USC is using the slip jersey. 
They've also used it earlier this season when Jalen Smith was out there and Malcolm Epps was also on the return. So when they have those double numbers, you'll see the slip jersey. So if you're seeing 82 recently, though, that's Prophet Brown actually out on the kickoff return unit. All right, that's some of the things that I wanted to point out. But now let's get to your guys' questions. Let's first, though, got to pay the bills. Let's take a break. We'll come back, answer all your guys' questions from the Peristyle as well as on Twitter and direct messages, carrier pigeons, however you guys sent the messages. I've got them all racked up and ready to go. We'll answer those and, and you know get you guys some, some extra information about what you guys want to know about. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, guys. Hope you enjoyed that break. Then make sure you're checking out our sponsors and you know checking out uh, everything they got to offer as well. But let's jump into your guys' questions. This is a mailbag edition of the podcast, so it's all about what you guys want to talk about. Start with David Johnson. What do you think of the many ways the coaches have used Thule? Has it hurt his production? And if so, why isn't that counterproductive? So that's an interesting question. Uh, and we talked about how they've used Thule in the Arizona game, standing him up and trying to do some different things with him. But I, I think that one of the things they haven't done is overuse him. I think that's positive. They have only used him. He's averaging 49 defensive snaps per game. You know, I look back at some of the other guys, uh, some of the you know the defensive linemen that have been standing out to USC in recent years, from Rasheem Green to the defense tackles like Marlon Tuipolotu, Jay Tefele. And because Thule kind of moves all over the place, kind of checking and seeing – who he kind of matches up with as far as snaps per game. And he's kind of in line with all those guys. Now, Rasheem Green, his final year, he was averaging a little bit more, around 55, 57. And then the only other guy that's really been way above that was was uh, Uchina Nwosu. He's more of a stand-up defensive end, uh, outside linebacker, so not exactly the same position that Thule's playing this year. So I, I think you could 
get away with more snaps at that spot than you know the grind that Tuli's going through. You know when he's you know going up against the big bodies inside. So I think that they're not overusing him. That's a positive. But they've got to find a way to get him off more consistently. You know, you're seeing these flashes where he's just doing a ton of work, but you saw Arizona was able to negate him by running away from him, uh, you know, chipping, doing some extra things because they know that he's the guy that can cause the most havoc. And he did that. He, he, you know, made some plays, made some tackles, but you got to be able to get him off more consistently. So I would like to see USC do a couple of extra things to just bring extra pressure from his side to just open up those extra opportunities for one-on-ones, you know, do some different things that can just really highlight and accentuate that he's the guy that uh, you're trying to get open and trying to get that one-on-one opportunity because you think he's going to win those one-on-one matchups. I-, I do like the fact that they're moving him all around because I, you, I think you should do that with your best players. That's why you should move Jordan Addison. You move him from one side to the other. You don't keep him in the same spot every time, and then the defense can really focus in on him and, hey, how do we slow that guy down? You don't do that with Drake London. You move him into the slot occasionally. You move him on the other side of the field. Same thing if you have Reggie Bush. You don't just keep him in the backfield. You put him in the slot. You move him around, put him in motion, all those type things, and you do the same thing on the defensive side. It's more difficult on the defensive side to move your pieces than on the offensive side, but you can still do it. And I think that they're doing a decent job with Thule, but I think that he's the key piece to that defense getting going because what have we noticed? They've struggled the last two weeks. They struggle to get pressure. And when you don't get or struggle to get pressure and get home in that pressure against Jaden Delora, they were getting some pressure, but then whiffing on the sack attempts and therefore turning into big plays downfield. Uh, Jaden Delora, whether he was taking off running with, and scrambling or buying extra time and then finding open receivers, he uh, he turned he, he basically turned around like 170 yards in the game. Where if USC makes a tackle in the backfield, you know it's a negative gain. Instead, he was turning the he was saving those sack yardage, but also then gaining yards. Include included was the 73 yard pass that he had to Dorian Singer, who where he was left wide open. So. They got to do some more things to get Thule going uh, and more consistently because obviously his numbers have been really good, but they've been, you know, kind of those quick highlights. You know, he was had that burst against in the first half against Washington State and then kind of disappeared the rest of the game. So, where do you get the more consistency and get him those one on one opportunities? That's what will lead to uh, him being able to make some more plays. Dominique wants to know prediction on who's the Pac 12 champion. That's a tough one. I mean, there are four really, really good teams. That's why all four, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Utah, are in the top 14 of the college football playoff rankings. And the the only thing I hope is that it comes down to that Pac-12 championship where two teams are fighting to get into the playoff. I want that to be – that's what I want to be on the stakes in that Pac-12 championship. I want to be whoever it is. I want it to be a five versus six basically because USC, the winner of USC-UCLA has gone on and climbed up the rankings, and the winner of Oregon-Utah has climbed up the rankings, and therefore the Pac-12 championship is a de facto you know, quarterfinal game to get into the college football playoffs. So that would be really fun. I don't know who's going to win it right now because each week it seems like one of them is, is that much better, and I think it may come down to attrition a little bit. And you saw – how much that Utah-USC game took out of both teams. Look at all the injuries that both teams suffered and were missing guys, 
and that was two weeks later. Both of them had a bye week, and you still – Cameron Rising is missing for Utah. They're missing multiple running backs. Dalton Kincaid goes out in the in the game against Washington State. You know, Clark Phillips went out for a little bit in that game. USC, you see they're missing their top two wide receivers, they're missing their offensive linemen, they're missing their inside – two of their four inside linebackers, missing Corey Foreman. So all these guys just getting – you know, that game was just a bloodbath as far as some of the injuries and whatnot that, that occurred in it and the after effects of it. So now you hope that both those teams can heal up and go forward. But what's going to happen when USC and UCLA play and Oregon and Utah play? What's going to happen the next week after that? You know, are those teams going to be healthy or is USC going in against Notre Dame and suddenly they're, you know, light once again and maybe Notre Dame can take advantage? You know, what's going to happen that final week uh, for Utah and Oregon? Those are concerns that I definitely have. But I think the fact that you get those two games going to be the same day, um, you know, it's going to be really, really fun. Uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving, I think it's going to be a, a great showcase for the Pac-12 to see those two games. And I hope that all four teams went out until that point. So it will be very intriguing then. And then USC fans will be rooting for a win against UCLA, as they always are. But they will also be rooting for Oregon to beat Utah so that they will kind of clear the path for the Pac-12 championship. Because uh, if Utah wins out, USC wins out, and Oregon doesn't drop a loss anywhere else, then then Utah is going to be in the championship game against Oregon and USC is going to be the team that's left out. So unfortunate for USC, but that's the way the tiebreakers are playing out right now. Dominique also want to know opinions on the Pac-12 refs versus USC. My opinion of the Pac-12 refs is that they're just not very good. I don't think it's necessarily trying to go out of their way to hamper USC. Maybe there's some subconscious there. Maybe it's whatever, but they're just not very good. I've been tweeting about this and Utah fans are mad because I'm bringing up stuff from two weeks ago or whatever. Now Arizona fans are mad because I'm pointing out how terrible that final drive was before the half with all their uh, malfeasance of the different clock operations, the spots, all that type of stuff. I've been pointing out these things. I look back and just search Pac-12 refs through my Twitter account. And I've been complaining about them since at least – uh, for a decade now so it's nothing new it, it's constant it's bit their reputation they're not good and unfortunate for USC they've been hampered by it um, at times and other times they've been have been the beneficiary you know they're a beneficiary of a bad um, you know personal foul penalty on the sideline when there was nothing really there and they were the the they wore the brunt of it against Utah with the rough and the passer calls and then in that before halftime, that weird, weird whole section of plays where the Pac-12 refs just were terrible because that's what they are. Rob, so you want to know better chance of happening, USC football in the college football playoff or USC basketball in the final four? Now I'm going to go with this season, and I will say it will be USC football in the college football playoff. I think that has a better chance to happening. Because basketball, I think that there's just there's a little bit of void of talent. Uh, when you lose guys like Isaiah Mobley, when you lose the veterans that they had on last year's team, Chavez Goodwin, Isaiah White, I think that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. There's going to be some growing pains with a lot of young guys going to play. There's going to be a couple of games where they just don't have it. And now you're going to be relying on shooting. Shooting comes and goes at times. Can USC be a consistent shooting team when they go to this four-guard lineup? You know, the, the fact that they're changing their style of play, that's a little bit of concern for me. 
I don't know that they'll make that same run. Whereas USC football is in position where, you know, they went out, they could very well be in the college football playoff and they're capable of that. However, there's some big concerns on the football side with that defense and where the defense, how the defense is playing recently. So, um, you know, I think the the football team has a much better opportunity, better chance of it. I don't know that it'll necessarily happen. S. Curry asked in the second half, it seemed like Tua Nomura was put in charge of spying the quarterback, still got caught uh, by Jaden Dolores' fakes and jukes, which never happened. Was that how you saw it? I don't think they necessarily put him in charge of spying because he's an inside linebacker when they were, they were playing more zone. When he drops in a zone, hey, now he's got his eyes on the quarterback. And so, you know, basically everyone on the defense in the secondary is kind of a spy and supposed to be able to see the defense there. And they were doing some different things. They had some some zone and man man half, zone half type of things where they plan half the field in different ways. They were mixing up a bunch of different things. They got to make tackles. And that's something Alex Grinch said, you know, this week is that, hey, close is not close enough. You know, it, you know, close is is actually bad because you think, okay, well, we're close, so next time we'll actually be able to do it. No, you got to go make those plays, and just you know, the fact that they're not tackling right now is a big concern for USC. So that has to be cleaned up. So I don't think the Nomura was basically said, hey, you're going to spy this guy, but he was in the middle of the field. He had opportunities. He needed to make some more plays. Would they have been better with Eric Gentry there? Yes, I just think that wingspan and stuff, and he's shown that. He can get uh, you know get his hands on the shoestrings and trip up some guys. That's happened a couple times. Uh, I just think that he's that much more um, challenging against an offense when he's in the middle of the field. Our flow want to know Kyle Ford looks all the part of a, a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two. What will it take to get him more snaps above Brendan Rice or Mario Williams? I have to believe he's earned the trust with Caleb Williams. Kyle Ford has seen his stock rise recently. That's for sure. He's actually seen his playing time uh, increase. You know, he'd only played 21 total snaps on offense the first four games. The last four games, he's averaging a little bit over, uh, you know, 18, 19, somewhere in there. And that includes playing 30 snaps this past week uh, against Arizona. And that's notable because he's not getting really more reps because – Mario Williams and Jordan Addison were out. He and Brendan Rice are splitting those same reps. So the fact that he earned more playing time there tells you the coaches are giving him some more confidence. Obviously, he's got a good connection with Caleb Williams. You saw them connect a couple different times. And you saw the fact that USC tried to throw those fade routes to him. They were able to connect on an early back shoulder. They tried twice in the in the end zone. One of them, he got his foot down just out of bounds. One of them, he's kind of getting held by the defense. But that sets up the touchdown that he, he has because, you know, they're thinking, the DB's thinking, all right, he's going with the outside, he's going for the fade, and he use that big body once again. Instead, he sets him up, steps outside, puts that foot down, cuts back in on the slant route. Caleb Williams delivers it on target and, you know, uses that big body to shield himself away from in the contact, gets the catch, gets the touchdown, uh, first touchdown of the season for Kyle Ford. So I don't see him – you know, losing any reps going forward. I think he's only going to continue to get more and more. And it's great to see because he's finally healthy. And that's one of the reasons why he wasn't getting reps earlier. And that's, you know, why Brendan Rice was getting all those. Brendan Rice had some opportunities. He's got to take advantage of the ones he's got. You know, he actually graded out pretty well in the game against Arizona, despite, you know, the big drop in the end zone on that just absolute frozen rope from Caleb Williams. What a throw. Threading the needle there while getting his shoulders open, 
doing all the stuff on rolling left to, to be able to be able to throw back across his body a little bit and, you know, square his shoulders up to the line of scrimmage to, to be able to put that zip on it was just beautiful. Unfortunate that it ended up in incompletion because uh, Brendan Rice couldn't make the catch while he was trying to keep his feet in bounds and do all the other things. But, yes, Kyle Ford has looked good. It uh, looked good against Arizona. Let's see how he does against uh, some better teams. Um, you know, every time he's got an opportunity, though, he makes plays, and that's what you're looking for. So I would throw him in there more because, you know, I love the love watching the kid play. He plays with that fire. He makes those tough, contested catches. And that's one of the things. Brendan Rice made tough, contested catches. Other than that one play in the end zone, you know, you, he had the slant round third down, contested catch. He had the touchdown in the back of the end zone, contested catch. So four of his catches actually in this game against Arizona were contested catches as well. So both of those guys were making, making the contested catches, and that's what you want from those big body guys. Now when you get back, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, you got to be able to make those contested catches while the, the smaller guys, the quicker guys, get out in space and create and do those different things as well. My guy Jay from Thessalonica wants to know, who will be USC's best big this hoop season? I think the answer, you know, you would look at some of the young guys and be like, okay, well, you know, excited about the events coming in. Unfortunate for him with the, the heart issue, the cardiac issue. Where's he going to be at? He's going to be cleared to play. Big question. You excited about Kajani? Uh, right. McDonald's All-American. Get excited there. The uh, Russian kid they bring in, Yaroslav uh, Nyagu, bringing him in, looking at his tape, highlights, lots, lots to watch there, lots to like there. Uh, but the guy is the returner, Joshua Morgan. I think he's really taking a step forward in his game from what I've been told. Uh, he's got a little bit more of an offensive presence this year. And the big thing is with the four-guard system, you just need him to be able to catch the ball and be able to finish by the rim because you're not going to be throwing the ball into him and expecting to run the offense through him like you were. You're not going to do that with the bigs this season. That's going to be the big change. So when the guards drive in, are you ready? Can you catch the ball? Do you have good hands? Can you finish You know, through the contact that you're going to get? That'll be really big. He's going to be a, a, a big positive on the defensive end, and they need him to stay out of foul trouble because – uh, you know, they basically have only him as any experience at the, the forward position. So, you know, the, they're going to need him to stay out of foul trouble and be that defensive presence inside because at sometimes you're going to be having Drew Peterson play in the four. So I think that's going to be really important. We have one other basketball question in here. Is there an update on the health of Vince Uwachuku? At the Pac-12 media day, Andy Enfield said that there's they are still hopeful that he will be returning this season. That's the last I've heard as well from people around the program. Still hopeful. Nothing has been, you know, set in stone whether it's going to happen or not going to happen. So keep hoping for the kid and, you know, keep uh, keep him in your thoughts that he's able to get healthy and just, you know, live a, a full life and you know, be able to to play the sport that, you know, he came to USC to play. Back to the football side, Rusty Taylor wanted to know, from a non-data view, it seems like every week another person's highlighted. Do you attribute this to Lincoln Riley intentionally seeking something in the game plan process to use specific players or just the inherent random nature of week-to-week football? It's never the random nature of football. There's always game planning. You're trying to get certain guys in and do things. But what I think is interesting is that it seems like every week a different person is getting the end zone because the reserves are stepping up. You know, when Jordan Addison goes out, Mike Jack has to step in. He does and makes a play. You know, they were just trying to pick up a first down, but he makes a guy miss, takes it to the house for a 20-yard touchdown. Kyron Ware Hudson played one snap against Utah. 
it was a touchdown. He was only supposed to be in there as a decoy. It's a running play that Caleb Williams is supposed to try to get outside. Utah plays it really well. So instead, Caleb Williams backpedals, looks at his targets, and finds Kyron Ware Hudson open in the back of the end zone. He makes a play. So that's the things you're seeing. Those are not game plan. You're not game planning for that that play in the back of the end zone. You weren't game planning for Michael Jackson to be thrown in there because Jordan Addison. Now they were, they did, you know, the game plan for Jordan Addison to have the reverse plays. You know, he actually got injured on that. So then the next week, who's going to fill that role? They said, Hey, this play will work. Let's try it again. Well, Jordan Addison's not available. So now you throw it to my, to Michael Jackson and say, all right, let's go see what you can do in the open field. Um, and I think that's more of a product of, Let's see what the defense gives us. Okay, this play will work. Who do we want to run it with? And let's give Michael Jackson an opportunity rather than necessarily saying, all right, we got to get this guy and highlight him. We've got to get this guy and highlight him. You know, if you're doing really well in practice, then they're going to call certain plays for you, sure. And especially the stars, the the Mario Williams, the Jordan Addisons. But it's not necessarily like, all right, we got to highlight this guy. It's not Lane Kiffin style with Marquise Lee. Like, we got to get this guy 230 yards. we got to give him 16 catches in this game. I think it's more a product of what's the defense giving you? Let What's the defense giving the offense? Let's design some plays. And who's our best playmaker for that type of play? And that's when you see Jordan Addison being used against Utah in that very wide uh, formation and going in motion across the way and Josh Follow making a couple blocks. Okay, where well, you're using J- Jordan Addison, and then the ne- uh, a couple of plays, a couple series later, you use that same motion again, but he's a decoy. So sometimes you're highlighting, you're getting a ball to a guy and giving them an opportunity in space, and sometimes you use them as a decoy so that you can get someone else open. So I don't think they're initially trying to highlight Josh Follow with two touchdowns against Utah, but that's what the defense was giving them, so that's what they went with. Over on the P, the Dan wants to know based on this last week we're going to see more Shaw on the field. That's a statement, not a question. I think he believes that will happen. How do you think Grinch will do it, though, he asks. Run more dime, move Max to nickel, play a safety at linebacker. Not sure if you would call that nickel or dime or you know how those responsibilities kind of play. Um, I think that if you want to get Bryson Shaw on the field, I think you can use more dime, especially right now with the injury concerns at inside linebacker, but it's going to depend on the teams you're playing. Against Cal, I don't think that's the best, necessarily the best option just because they're going to line up with tight ends. They're going to do, do that more often. They do have some three and four wide receiver sets that they've been using against Oregon. I saw some of those, or they're using some of those wide receivers, but you're going to want to try to stop Jay Knott first and foremost, and then get to the passing game. So I think you're going to want to have multiple linebackers on there. I don't know who you would if you're if you stay in your nickel formation. I don't know who you would take off the field. The Dan suggests moving Max to, Max Williams to nickel, and then therefore you would take Jalen Smith off. But Jalen Smith has been pretty consistent for them in that nickel back spot. So I don't know that you would do that. So you're either having to take Max Williams off the field, or you're taking Kalen Bullock off the field to try to get Bryson Shaw on there. So I think Bryson Shaw is actually going to stay as a reserve more. And maybe he rotates in. Maybe you give Max Williams a series here, off here or there, and uh, maybe that's how they try to get Bryson Shaw some opportunities because that's the position that he was playing is the same one that Max Williams typically plays. Left Coast Trojan said, Hi, Shadi. Any info to share with Earl Barquette? Recent participation trends, inside-outside splits, health. You know, I, I can't comment on his health, you know, because can't say anything about what we see at practice, but – Earl Marquette has not played the last three games. 
he's been on the bench. I saw him on the bench against Utah. I believe he was on the bench at, at Arizona. I was not there for that one. But he just hasn't played. Now, he only played 25 snaps in the four games prior to that. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make me feel like, oh, that's definitely an injury because he was playing a ton of snaps previously. But what impact was he making? And that's the big question. I thought he was doing some nice things when he was in there and made a couple plays in the limited reps he was getting. But I think that you're seeing Tyrone Talini and the fact that he has, you know, really stepped up his game and kind of taken over that starting role and then, you know, having Dejon Benton behind him, I think that's why you're not seeing a ton of Earl Barquette. We've seen a little bit more of Brandon Peely on the other at the other position, and he's actually eaten into Stanley Tafo's snaps a little bit here in the last couple of games, but they've been pretty consistent. They just haven't gone as deep in the rotation as they were, and maybe that's also, hey, you're on the road. We're not going to take any chances with you know extra guys getting in there. We're going to focus on you know the two deep, and those guys are going to stay in there. So I think maybe that has something to do with it as well. But Earl Barquette, we have not seen him play the last three games. We'll see if anything changes going forward. SC Dad wants to ask a UCLA question, but he doesn't want to ask it. He said, if Cal or Colorado had a running back like Zach Charbonnet, he said, sorry, this is this guy's question, so not to be accused of looking too far ahead. And if you were Alex Grinch with the healthy personnel on hand, who would you have in there to stop the run? If you got a big body back like Zach Charbonnet, guy that can break tackles, I want my surest tacklers in there. So that's going to be Shane Lee when he's healthy, um, and that's probably going to be Tua Sivinomura going in there. I want somebody to hit Zach Charbonnet as well. So right now with Eric Gentry on the shelf uh, until he plays another game, we'll call him on the shelf, and we'll see if he comes back this week against Cal. Those are the two inside linebackers I would have. Those are the two healthy ones you have. If you had all four of them, you want to have Eric Gentry out there and you want Shane Lee to be able to tackle him. I think that's a guy – I think Charbonnet is a guy who catches the ball in the backfield pretty well. But I think that Shane Lee, I think that's much more of a guy that he can cover in space uh, versus some of the scat backs, some of the smaller guys that he's had to chase around at other times or some of the slot receivers even. So I think that's a pretty good matchup, and I think it's an interesting one to see uh, going forward is you know if Shane Lee back fully healthy by the time the UCLA game, how does he kind of attack that Zach Charbonnet matchup, and you know how can USC use him maybe in one-on-one situations, or they feel like hey we gotta we gotta keep everything in front of us, we gotta play more zone, do different things like that, even when they go in those passing situations. Kind of answered this a little bit ago, but Charmack want to know: Do you see an increased role for Bryson Shaw for the rest of the season? And hey, Bryson Shaw made some nice plays, had seven tackles in that game, an interception, a pass breakup, but. There were also some plays he didn't make. You may look at that play, that 73-yard Dorian Singer, and say, wow, why is Nick Figueroa out in coverage? But to me, and this is my untrained eye, looking at the broadcast copy, not the full, uh, you know, all 22, because unfortunately we can't get access to that. But it looked like that one was on Bryson Shaw, actually, there, because he carried the receiver inside and should have stayed to the outside there and been able to, to be able to pick up Singer coming into his area because it was a zone coverage rather than Nick Figueroa supposed to be, you know, hightailing it in man coverage to cover an inside slot receiver. So I think that's one play that, you know, he would want back Bryson Shaw um, and, you know, obviously the four missed tackles. So there's some things that, you know, first real experience this season, things to build on definitely. But there wasn't enough there for me to be like, all right, you got to replace Max Williams. You got to replace Kalen Bullock. And that's the two guys where the position he would play. So, 
maybe you mix him in and give him a rotation and give him a you know a, a, a drive once uh, per half or something like we've seen them do with some other guys just to one rest Max Williams and you know not take a couple hits off of his body for the rest of the season but I think that's probably the the most opportunities that I would be giving Bryson Shaw going forward uh, me personally if I was Alex Grinch. Bone R fan wants to know which upperclassmen still have their COVID year available. Now on my spreadsheets, I have everybody divided into their year, you know, and what you know what years of eligibility they still have remaining. So there's a group of third year guys that are technically athletically sophomores. So they still have two more years of eligibility after this season, um, and they can potentially still redshirt too as well. This group. So uh, there's this group has. Some guys are going to transfer. Some guys are going to be going to the NFL. So not everybody's going to be here next year. But this is the group of third-year sophomores. So these guys potentially could have three more years in college if they were to redshirt still. But they have two more years of eligibility if they wanted to use them. That includes Gary Bryant Jr., who we expect to transfer. Brennan Rice, Romello Height. Romello Height hopefully comes back healthy uh, next year. Jordan Addison, we expect him to be gone to the NFL as well as Tulu Pelotu. Other guys include Jake, Jacoby Covington, Joshua Jackson Jr., Chris Thompson Jr., Cortland Ford, Jamar Sakona, Andrew Milik, Jonah Monheim. Those are all your third-year sophomores. Those guys all have two years of eligibility still remaining and could still redshirt as well to get to a sixth year if they needed to be. There's a group of four guys that entered this year as fourth-year juniors, so they could all return still as a fifth-year senior. These guys have not redshirted in their, in their careers but because of the COVID year, they could return for a fifth year if they wanted to and, and still play. That's Austin Jones, Raylan Goforth, Shane Lee, and John Jackson Jr. There was also three guys coming into the year that, if needed, could have redshirted this season and returned next year. But all three of these guys have already passed the four-game threshold. You know, None of them suffered a you know, major injury early in the season or anything that would have kept them out. And that's Travis Dye, Alex Stadhouse, and Bobby Haskins. Those guys will be gone but they were guys coming in that still did have the potential to redshirt. But that's that. That's basically it because pretty much everyone on USC's roster otherwise has redshirted coming in or you got some guys that are second-year freshmen or true freshmen where they're not going to get the COVID year. They don't get that allowance like the guys, uh, the older guys on the team actually do. SC Rules LA has a question that kind of goes with that. Which starters would surprise fans in returning one more year instead of entering the draft? I think that would easily be the guys I just said that we're going to leave would be Jordan Addison and Tuli Tupelotu. I think those two are the the ones that stand out for sure. Maybe the fourth year sophomores. Is there anyone in that group that maybe was is going to leave? I don't think there necessarily is. You know, Caleb Williams can't leave yet. Uh, neither can Mario Williams. Those guys are future NFL players, but they you know they're not headed yet. The the guys that are question marks will be. Austin Jones, Shane Lee, do they stick around uh, for another year or do they either, all right, I've played four seasons and I'm just ready to go professional. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out and I'll begin my life elsewhere. You know, what's kind of in their thought process? You know, do they feel like they're getting enough playing time? Those type things. Maybe those guys aren't around next year, but I think that, you know, I think they will be. There's question marks around Justin Dedich. Does he leave or does he stay? I think he ends up staying. 
I think the, because he just doesn't have as much tape as some of the other linemen, I think that it'll be good for him to come back, be that leader of that team, potentially play center next year. So I think he would be back as well. So not a ton of guys that it seems like we're going to take off after this year that still have that eligibility, but you never know. There's always the, there's a couple of guys that you're like head scratchers to see them leave. Uh, but just because everyone on, on USC's teams, the, the older guys, the guys that you expected that will be in the NFL draft as well, are already six-year seniors outside of Addison and Tuli Tupelotu. You got Makai Blackman. You've got Andrew Voorhees, maybe Brett and Elon. Those guys are all six-year seniors, so they're going to be gone anyways. SC also asked, which younger players second half of the year at practices are being chatted up to be getting more reps, more live game reps for depth? There has to be some making playing time strides that could add depth and surprise. I mean, I think you look at someone like Bryson Shaw and the fact that he got in there and did did what he did, but the names that we hear are guys that we still don't see getting those opportunities. You know, people talk about Rajon Davis and Corey Foreman, and we're just not seeing those guys get those extra opportunities. C.J. Williams on the offensive side, but not necessarily a ton of extra reps there. He's been getting a couple of reps throughout the season, so – you know, I, I think that there's not anyone that really stands out that like that guy's definitely going to get more reps. Even Relief Brown or Damani Jackson, when uh, Damani Jackson gets healthy, you know, maybe they get some extra reps. But you know, no one that you know the coaching staff has been talking up a lot, and then we're starting to see that kind of play out. Instead, it's kind of you know we'll hear something about some guys, but then they still just don't get a ton of playing time. JRUSC said, some USC fans are upset about the defense that it hasn't improved as much as the offense. I think that improving a defense is slower than improving an offense because the defense relies on physicality more and there's no position on defense that can lead to as drastic of an improvement as a QB change. What do you think about the difference between the progress on each side? I think that you have more playmakers on the offensive side at USC. I think that's part of the reason why the offense has been able to turn around so quickly and I think when you have a schematic, uh, you know, play calling genius like Lincoln Riley, it just expedites that even that much further because now he can scheme guys open rather than, you know, than trying on the defensive side is you're reacting to the offense and what they're doing. On the offensive side, if you have a really good coordinator, they can scheme stuff open enough that, you know, even with not the greatest athletes, you can still have some open receivers. On the defense side, you can scheme some stuff open, but then you got to have the physicality to go make the play, and that's something that USC hasn't always done in the past. And you know they've been missing these tackles recently, and that's really hurt them as well. So I think that's part of the reason that they're struggling right now. But if the defense makes tackles, and I don't think it's physicality necessarily because we've seen them be super physical all season. It's just they just haven't been there and haven't been pulling guys down on the ground whereas they were doing that so well earlier in the season. I think that's been the huge difference between looking at Oregon State game and saying, wow, the defense played really well. The defense really held them in. The defense held won this game for them until the offense could kind of come around. Or Washington State at halftime going, wow, look at what the defense did in the second half shutting down that offense. I think those are the things this defense is capable of if they tackle. Because then you get off the field on third down. Then you, you know, you get a third and long because you got that sack in the backfield rather than it being suddenly third and four. And that was the thing at Utah. They were able to get those quick passes so much there was no pass rush and you didn't have any of those negative plays. And that's been the thing for the last two games is this defense is built on creating those negative plays. 
those explosive plays, the sacks, the fumbles, the interceptions, to turn the tide of the game. And when that doesn't happen, this is what that defense looks like, especially if they don't make tackles. So those two things combined have led to USC's defense giving up 80 points and like 1,100 yards the last two weeks or 1,000 yards, whatever it is, the last two games. Trojan901 want to know, tell me the specific objectives for the Grinch defense and how a competitor could take advantage of the scheme. The specific objectives of any defense are to stop the offense from scoring any points, um, get to the guys and make tackles, and that's what they're not doing right now. But how can a competitor take advantage of the scheme that they have? Uh, one of the things is that, you know, it's a speed defense. It's, you know, uh, it's an attack that they want to get in the gaps. They want to create confusion, do different things with the stunts, different things. And if you can run the ball right down the throat against smaller defense alignment, then it destroys all that stuff that you're trying to do, all the games up front and all that type of stuff that uh, a, a, the defense that Alex Grinch is trying to run, you know, that they're trying to cause that confusion, all those different things, those late movements. If you're just running the ball right down their throat, then they can't really do any of that, that and it doesn't really uh, make much of a difference. So I think that's the – the biggest thing that you can take advantage of that scheme. One SC Neil said he's enjoying this 2022 ride. A lot different than four and eight, right guys? I would agree with that. Fast forward to August 26, 2023 versus San Jose state best guess on the starting offensive line. Now that's an interesting question. Cause obviously you're going to lose some pieces. Bobby Haskins gone. Andrew Voorhees gone. Fred Elon gone. Where is Jonah Monheim going to be? Where does he fit? Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Where's Justin Dietrich going to be? I think he'll be at center next year. I think that Monheim is somewhere on the right side, depending on what you bring in, if you can find anyone that you feel confident in to play the tackle position. Mason Murphy. Maybe you have Mason Murphy at right tackle and Cortland Ford at left tackle, and now Jonah Monheim can slide inside to a guard position where I think is probably his best bet at the next level is to be inside rather than on the outside and, you know, have him side by side with Justin Dietrich. And now you have two of the smartest minds, uh, you know, deciphering the fronts now with Brett Nealon being gone. So I think that's the, you know, the potential there. And then Gina Quinones has shown some positive things. I think he's a guy that could be in the mix at the, at one of the guard spots. And then the question would be, is there anybody else that can get in that mix? And I think that's the five guys that you're looking at initially. Can Jason Rodriguez, you know, can we see some improvement from him to get in the mix? Do we see something from Andrew Milik? Do we see something from Caden Stefan or Andres Work or one of those guys? Or one of the freshmen coming in? Is Alani Noah ready? Is Michael Buenuelos ready to be an interior guy? You know, those type of guys coming in, Amos Tolele, are one of those three big bodies ready to go? Or does USC flip one of those big five-star offensive tackles late in the cycle, and suddenly those they can come in and compete for a spot? Those are all possibilities, but I think the five guys I listed first, that's your uh, most likely uh, candidates to be on the starting offensive lineman next year. CG, want to know, is the USC coaching staff afraid of breaking Relique Brown? He only sees the field two or three plays a game. Am I wrong? Well, against... Arizona, you are correct. He only played two offensive snaps, and one of them was a touchdown. So using pretty effectively, I guess you would say there, uh, as far as usage and impact in his usage. 
But, yeah, he's not playing a ton. He played four snaps of offense against Utah, nine against Washington State, 14 against Arizona State. And you felt like after that Arizona State game, hey, he's healthy. We're going to see him more now. But that hasn't necessarily been the case because they have just relied on Travis Dye that much the last three games. He's he played 58, 59, and 59 snaps the last three games. Um, so they're giving the bulk load, you know, the 80% of the load to Travis Dye. And they're kind of splitting up the rest between Austin Jones and Raleigh Brown. There's not a lot of lot to go around. So I think that's part of it. And now I would, if possible, against Cal in Colorado, I'd try to pull back if I could because I think Travis Dye is so important to this team going forward in that stretch run that I don't want him getting banged up and, you know, not being available for UCLA or Notre Dame or a potential Pac-12 championship game. But we'll see what the coaches do, what their decision is, and, you know, if Malik Brown can get uh, in the mix a little bit more because he's just so electric and fun to watch that you really want to see him with the ball in his hands. Naked Alien want to know a basketball question. Any scenario where USC can compete with UCLA and Arizona for the Pac-12 championship this year? Sure, there's a scenario. If all the young guys are shooters and they can make shots and, you know, you can, if they play all play defense, then sure. But is that realistic? I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case because, you know, looking at UCLA, when you return Hawkins, when you return Tiger Campbell, you add Amari Bailey, you add Bona, who's just a, a beast down low. I think it's going to be a tough matchup for USC. Arizona, I, I think that USC's, you know, a closer footing with Arizona than UCLA. I think Oregon could be really good again this season. So I, I think that USC will have its, uh, you know, have some tough matchups and, you know, have its work to do. I think they'll be in the top half of the conference once again and should be able to make a run to the NCAA tournament once again. And if they continue to get better as the season progresses, then you look at it and go, okay, maybe they're not in the running for that regular season title, but maybe they're in the running for the Pac-12 tournament title because I think they could potentially, with how many young guys and the experience they get, could be get better and better as the season progresses, which would be even better for USC when it comes March. One baseball question from Bay Trojan 03, over under on wins this season. College baseball season is 56 games long, or you can schedule up to 56 games. I'm going to take it right in the middle. I'll say 28. Uh, you know, I'll put I'll put the over under at 27 and a half so I can take the over here and take at least 28. I think they'll be around a 500 team, potentially, if that. I think that's a, the ceiling for them. I've seen some positive things so far. I'm hoping to get out and see some of the scrimmages and stuff this fall before they close up shop to see what all they're working with. But some positive signs from coming from over there. I think they're a little bit light on talent, so it's going to take a little bit of time. But the recruiting that they're doing right now is really building the classes going forward. So look, look, looking like some positive things happening over at Dato for the first time in a while, it seems like. All right, two final questions. We'll start with Trojan Man 11. He said, can you do a breakdown of sacks given up this year? Of the, of the 16 we have given up, how many were truly due to the offense line being beat? Now, there's only 15 sacks that USC has, has allowed this season. Still a lot. Um, with someone as elusive as Caleb Williams, that number could be a lot higher. But can you do a, a breakdown of it? So I did. I went through. I looked at each of the sacks so far this season. I broke down how many seconds. This is very rudimentary. Just stop watching it a couple times, getting taking the mean between the two numbers. How long? before Caleb Williams was gotten, was pulling, being pulled down to the ground, 
and how long before he was being moved in the pocket where he was you know really aware of the 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 rush um and there's times when hey he's got less than a, a second and a half and someone's on top of it now there's been some immediate pressures whether it be a free rusher whether it be you know just someone getting beat that bad but there's also been there was one coverage sack in the Fresno State game that nearly lasted 10 seconds and that's on that's on Caleb Williams. You got to get rid of the ball. You can you know if you have ten seconds in the in the pocket, seven seconds before he was really pressured by anyone, you've got to you've got to find a way to not take the sack in that one. So there's been a couple where he's just holding the ball a little bit too long, and it's a coverage sack, and he's just looking for something to come open. So those would be on the QB. There's actually been four that have been on the running backs of so the 15, you know, that, that I would put the blame on the running backs, whether it be a mental mistake of just not picking up the right guy. There was one of those on Relique Brown. There's been a couple of physical beats, you know, where Austin Jones was kind of thrown around. There was one where Travis Dye got manhandled. So there's been four on the offense line, physical. There's been, or excuse me, on the running backs, uh, just physical beats or, you know, mental beats there. On the offensive line, I counted – you know, five of the sacks that I really gave to the offensive line. So five of the 15 I'm saying are the offensive line. A couple of those are mental ones where there's just a free rusher where they didn't communicate and get the, you know, right call up front. And then there's been three that have been just straight physical. Hey, they just got beat completely. And and Caleb didn't have time to really do anything to, to make up for it. He makes up for a lot of things, but you got to give him a little bit of time. And a lot of times that's that, that backside. The, the left tackle position has been the issue for USC when it comes to these in particular. You know, they've had a you know, physical beats. I, I got two um, on Bobby Haskins, one on Cortland Ford, one on uh, Mason Murphy. So it's been different guys uh, throughout the mix. And then there's other times where the play design makes it difficult. You know, there was a one where it was a play action and Justin Deed is supposed to come across the formation and there was someone screaming off the edge, and he's doing everything he can, but it's just a play design. He doesn't really have a chance to to do much other than you know dive at the guy. And Caleb Williams kept a play alive, and Justin just did enough to you know keep him from getting the sack initially, but it eventually led to a sack, uh, and you know Caleb couldn't find anybody because he was immediately being stressed. So it's a little bit of a mix of everything. They've there've been a mix of down and distance. Six of them have come on third and long. So that often is Caleb Williams trying to find, you know, looking downfield, looking downfield, looking for somebody because I averaged out all of the, the pressures, the, all the sacks to see how much time it was. He's getting on average over three seconds on the sacks before he's getting pressured. Now, a couple of those are, like I said, less than two seconds. When you're getting two seconds or less, two and a half seconds or less, that's, you know, a quarterback doesn't have, isn't able to do much uh, there. And then, you know, there's been – it's averaging out to about five five, sec, five and a quarter seconds before Caleb Williams is being sacked. So that means he's buying two extra seconds trying to escape and stuff from the initial pressure. But uh, that's the breakdown of all the sacks. I would say that the offense line's in charge of five of those. They should be – they should take responsibility for five of them. And then the final question comes from uh, Kelly – Yuri, it looks like, from Twitter. Kelly Yuri, I think that's correct. Uh, maybe it's Keely Yuri, I don't know. Kelly Yuri seems right. Asking, which play design has been most impressive to you so far this season? Keely asked this question because we used to do our film study 
and there's been so much that I would love to be breaking down a film study. I wish I had more time to, to show all you, all the things that I'm seeing and, you know, that are, are really fun to watch. I keep going, Ooh, Oh, that's neat. That's neat. That's neat. Um, but the most impressive thing rather than it just being one design has been how Lincoln Riley builds plays off of other plays. That's one of the biggest criticisms I had of the Graham Harrell offense and even the offense prior to that at USC is that they, they just, there were opportunities to build, but when you had the gumbo or when you had Graham Harrell, it's like they didn't want to take that next step. And we saw that in the Stanford game where, hey, you run the counter play that you know the offense is kind of known and built around, and then you run the screen off of it to the other side. Well, then you run the screen off of that to back to the original side of the the counterplay. So, like things like that are really cool and, and really fun to see. So, one of the coolest designs I think was the the Josh Follow first touchdown in that game uh, against Utah because you saw Jordan Addison and Josh Follow, you know, getting into the end zone on the initial touchdown for USC, the initial passing touchdown, and Josh Follow throwing a couple of blocks in that, and he gets rewarded the next time. And you, you run that same motion, and the defense follows Jordan Addison because you got to pay attention to that guy. And Josh Follow throws a guy out of the way, slips uh, up the up the field. And even though Caleb Williams gets pressured a little bit and has to throw off the back foot, he's able to connect with Josh Follow, makes a nice hands catch in the back of the end zone. And I was kind of looking for that play, and I just was a little bit out of position to be able to get the shot that I wanted to. But uh, you know, it was a really nice play design and really nice catch and execution of the catch by Josh Follow. And it was awesome to see him get back in the end zone because it had been three years almost since his last catch, which was also a touchdown. That one happened to be in the back of the end zone against Cal uh, in a play that similarly I was right about 12 feet away from from where it happened. So uh, that was really cool to see, and I think that's probably my, my favorite play design of the season so far, but there's been a lot of cool ones. I like the power pistol that they ran against Utah and using Jordan Addison and, and Taj Washington in the backfield in different ways. Uh, those have been really cool. And then last game, the Taj Washington touchdown, I thought was really uh, a nifty play design where you're running off the, the DB on one side of the field while bringing Taj Washington underneath initially is what it looks like. And then he gets vertical back behind the, the first layer of the zone of Arizona and because they're on the other side, you've taken off the top with your your wide receiver. Now there's no one in that zone anymore on the cornerback side. So really well well designed plays there as well. So a lot of lot of fun stuff so far from Lincoln Riley's offense and uh, you know what they've been able to do so far, especially with the playmakers they have. Well, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Herd on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratlin, saying thank you to everyone who submitted a question, everyone taking the time to listen. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. hope it can just add to the knowledge base for you guys so that you're seeing stuff on Saturdays and pointing them out to me on Twitter or whatnot going forward. But please like, share, subscribe, leave us a review on the podcast listening platform of your choice. I hope you guys can join us for the next episode of the Herded on the Sidelines podcast.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.